0: Please turn in your Bible to Zephaniah. Zephaniah. It's the fourth book before the New Testament. Four books back. Three books back from Malachi. Zephaniah. You know, last week we talked about the fact that God may be different than who you think he is. And this week I want to talk to you about knowing God. And we're going to look at who God really is. We're going to look at uh, a couple of his attributes. This is not all of God. If we were to study all of God and who he is, that would be the only subject we would ever cover because it is inexhaustible. And so there is a difference between knowing of somebody and knowing somebody. We all know each time... We elect the president. We know who they are. We know of them. Pick your pick any president that you like. We know of them. So do you, the, how to know that is? I mean, we could all call our current president. Here he comes. <laughs> um, we we can all. <laughs> We all know our current president, but do you know the things that he likes? Do you know the things that he dislikes? Do you know the things that are fears for him? Do you know the ideas that he has or the opinions? And we would all say we know some of them, right? Because that's how we elect somebody. But knowing somebody is different. Think of your spouse or your parent or your child. And ask yourself the same questions. Do you know the things they like? The things they dislike. Their fears. Ideas and opinions. And we would know it's more of an intimate know. And I think what goes on in our Christian journey is we more know of God than knowing God. We know the things of God. We know things about God rather than knowing him. What causes his heart to beat? How he actually responds to us? Who is who is he really? We talk about him from more of a mechanical standpoint instead of more of a relationship standpoint. When we talk about the compassion and the love of God, we assign the we assign those attributes. Yes. But we don't talk about the emotion that God has for us. We're going to look at a little bit of that today as we walk through our verses. As we look at knowing God, we're going to see a description of him. We're going to see his mercy and then we're going to see his grace. And we're going to gain an insight into a little bit of who God is, hopefully, this morning. We begin, let's begin with prayer. Prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time that we have to dive into your word together. And Father, I pray that as we depart from here today that we'll not have more facts about you, but that we will come to a more intimate understanding of who you are. And Father, we know that you're not a distant God who started this thing and kind of got the ball rolling. You're not a God that's Just there to give us a job description and marching orders. But you're God in relationship with us. An actual relationship. Not just talking of one because we're related to you through the shed blood of your son. And so Father, I pray today that the, the distance that we've created by definition will be stripped away. To more of an intimate heart relationship. And so I thank you for these moments we have to walk through your word. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Has anyone ever... We're going to look at a description of God. Has anyone ever said or done something where you've said to yourself, that is completely out of character? You ever been in that situation? Where somebody did something or said something. them, you go, man, that is completely out of character. Have you ever considered that maybe your view of them was out of character? Maybe that wasn't out of character for them. Maybe our view of them was out of character. And so I would challenge you with that this morning as we begin to dive into these verses about God. Because it may be that as we walk through this, you may say, well, that's not how I know God. That's not what I've seen. Maybe what you think and what you see is out of character for who God is. And so we're going to start in Zephaniah, chapter 3 and verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And so what's going on here in this passage is Israel is being told how God sees them or how God feels about them, about his people. And as we know that we were at, we were grafted in, we learned that in the New Testament. And so God does the same thing with us today. We learn essentially five things from this one passage. We learn that He's in our midst. He's not absent. He is present with us. You ever felt like God is far away or you can't find Him or your prayers are just going unanswered? You're like, God, where are you? Anybody ever prayed that prayer? God, where are you? I prayed it. He's not some distant God off in heaven sitting on His throne going, well, I hope they figure it out. Good luck. Good luck. Go and be well. We kind of see God in a way like that. Like He's distance. Because we think, how could He care about us? And we'll explore that in a little bit. And so He's actually in our midst. And the Bible says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there He's with you. But it also said, when there's only one... That I am in them and they are in me, and there's no separation. And so you cannot escape the very presence of God. That's how much He wants to be with you. He doesn't see. I I love the song that Judy did because he, He forgets all of our sins and remembers His promises. He doesn't carry that. He's in our midst. He is victorious. Listen, his hands are not tied by anything. He has already overcome. The problem with us is we look at things in our lives and we go, well, how come God didn't do that? Right? How come he didn't deliver here? How come God allowed that to happen? Couldn't God have stopped it? That what we say. We lose a loved one. Somebody gets sick, and we get we go. We start assigning distance to God. And the truth is, we live in a broken, down, fallen world from our own choice. Because when God created Adam and Eve, they were meant never to die. We exchanged eternal life for sin. And with sin, the penalty is death. Now, He removes the eternal death, but the physical, until the body's redeemed, it will die. And those things are going to happen. And we want to blame God for our choices. You ever blame somebody else for a choice you made? <laughs> yeah. Well... Lord, I wouldn't eat but the woman you gave me. (laughs) Right? And we do the same thing. It's always somebody else's fault. You know, it blows my mind the amount when there's a problem, what we sit down and talk about is who to blame for it. You ever notice that? Well, if their fault and it's your fault, and if he did that and if he did and your parents, you ever have that conversation with your kids? <laughs> right? Or whose fault is it? Even in adult relationships? <laughs> well, if you hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have done that. And it's really blaming somebody else. And we're so concerned about blaming somebody or assigning because our identity would fracture should we have to own the fact that we're not perfect? Well, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm comfortable with these imperfections, just not that one. That's what really happens. And we spend so much time blaming instead of just trying to solve the whose cares whose fault it is? Who cares? What is the point of that? The point of that, the point of assigning blame is to build yourself up artificially and lay a, a, a minus at the foot of somebody else. And we have to be careful that we don't blame God because that's exactly what we do. We're so used to it. We do it without thinking. Listen, He's victorious. He is already overcome. And this is the God who wants to be with you all the time. So he goes on and he says this. He exalts over you with joy. How many of you use the word exalt in your everyday conversation? Is that a common word that we use? Y'all use that at school?
1: Hey guys,
0: I'm exalting. Right? You know what exalt means? It doesn't mean exalt. Exalt is different. Exalt, let me me read you the definition. It means to show or feel elation of jubilation. And he does that with joy. (laughs) So that's how God feels about you. And some of you are going, man, he's deceived. (laughs) If God only knew me, he wouldn't feel that way. Really? (laughs) Really? Maybe God knows you better than you know yourself. Maybe the enemy has lied to you about who you are. Maybe you've accepted it based on your behavior. And said, Well, that's what that's who I really am. But can you imagine God showing elation or jubilation to be with you? does anybody picture God that way? <laughs> Lord help us. <laughs> but that's what it says. So maybe how we picture God isn't actually what, who God is. So it says that he exalts over you with joy. So let me read it with the definition. He Shows or feels elation of jubilation over you with joy.
1: Woo-hoo.
0: You're here. Woo! I love you. Woo! I like you too. You didn't know God knew woo-hoo, did you? <laughs>
1: That's
0: what he says. And then it says, He is quiet in His love. He's quiet in His love. Well, then He just must be embarrassed about me. He's quiet in His love. That's not what He's talking about. He's talking about it's a very personal love for Him, it's very intimate, it's between you and Him. It's a genuine heart intimate love. It's a personal, real relationship with you. Not just one that shows out. You know, I'll tell you this. I, I see flash in the pans all the time. This is awesome! This is, and then the next thing comes along and then, now that's awesome, right? But someone who's very steady and takes their time and looks and works their way through things is going to be more rock solid and more dependable than somebody who responds on emotion. And God's love for us is intentional, it's quiet, and it's meant for you. And then he says, and he even proves what I was doing a minute ago, he rejoices over us with shouts of joy. Yes! Yes! Yes, God is shouting in heaven about you, not at you.
1: <laughs> woo, Andrea! Woo!
0: Andrea's hoping that nobody. Sees. She's the one over there in the corner, <laughs> turning red. See, Oh, there. Everybody, look. <laughs> rejoices over us with shouts of joy. I want you to get it. This is an accurate picture of God. It says it in His Word. He is in heaven shouting with joy over you. How many of you have had an accurate picture of God based on this? Exactly. That's why we're doing this. Because I'm with you. I am neither. So, The question is, if that's not how we picture Him, why not? And I'm going to tell you why not. I'm going to tell you why we don't picture God that way, because we look at our behavior and say, "How could God love me?" I'm the only one who knows what I think. I'm the only one who knows what I do privately. I'm the only one who knows certain things about myself. Well, is that a true statement? Thank you. No, it's not. Because God knows everything you think, He knows everything you do. But we think it's private into ourselves. And so we say to ourselves, man, how could God really feel that way? Well, because God loves us and He is love and He forgives and we're so glad for that. But His commitment to us is 100%, it's not half. And so we see this description of God rejoicing and being with us and what thats not that a picture of a relationship, really? Have you ever met somebody that's newly in love? It's almost like... You know, because they're like all googly eyed and you're like, please stop doing that. (laughs) We're in public. And so we see this description of, (laughs) sorry, we see this description of God, but I want to talk to you about two, just two aspects of him. Besides this picture that we're given out of Zephaniah. We talk about grace and mercy all the time, right? The grace of God, God's mercy. We talk about them almost interchangeable, but they're different. They're very different. We're going to begin with mercy. See, God is a merciful God. Mercy means that God does not give us what we deserve. Mercy is God not giving us or giving me what I deserve. Sometimes I need a whooping. Sometimes I need correction. Sometimes, and what I've earned is hell is what I've really earned, right? That's what I've earned. But he doesn't give me that. That's mercy, not grace. Ephesians 4, 24 says this, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Isn't that interesting? The mercy of God flows out of the love of God. So God loves us so much that he doesn't want to give us what we deserve. Parents, you know that, Right? When your kids do something wrong or something bad and you love them so much that you really don't want to have to bring the correction, even though you know you need to. Right? Maybe your kids never do anything wrong. Right, Morgan? <laughs> she's, in the, she's in the church, so she's going to be somewhere. <laughs> But he's rich in mercy. Listen, the long-suffering and forgiving, uh, uh, long-suffering and forgiving God is mercy. is attributes to him, and his mercy flows out of that. And so, his love for us motivates him to not give us what we deserve. Man, we haven't even gotten the forgiveness yet. It flow It's part of it for sure. But the mercy of God says, man, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. You ever thought, man, I hope they get what they deserve. You ever had that thought? When somebody was ugly to you? Somebody was nasty, you had it run through your mind? We're not demonstrating the mind of Christ when we do that. (laughs) What we need to do is pray for those people. And I'll tell you this, if you go in with the right heart, and you love them anyway. God will break. God will get try to get their attention in other ways. And when you see Him do it, don't rejoice. Continue to pray because our goal is that they walk with the Lord. Right? Mm-hmm. Amen. <coughs> and so He's rich in mercy, and I'm glad He's rich in mercy. If God's going to be rich in something, I want it to be mercy. You see people throw themselves on the mercy of the court too. You ever heard that before? <laughs> they know they've done it wrong. Only by them having some compassion. Will their sentence be reduced. It's the same idea. 2 Corinthians 4.1 says this. Therefore since we have this ministry. We have received mercy. We do not lose heart. And so Paul references our ministry here of reconciliation and evangelizing the world. We don't lose heart in our work because his mercy encourages us. But knowing that he's a mercy giving God, can we proclaim forgiveness to people, right? If God was not a merciful God, how can we proclaim forgiveness? There would be no abating of the wrath of God. And so it encourages us to go and share the gospel. How many of you have an intention to share the gospel wherever you go through your day, every day? You know, it's so funny. The church historically has come up with programs so we can share our faith. Our faith should not be dependent on a program. It's who we are, ladies and gentlemen. It's who we are. If you've been forgiven and experienced the grace, or excuse me, that's next, the mercy of God. (laughs) See, I do it too. Man, isn't that what we want to tell people about? And so it's part of our motivation. Listen, what we learn from this is God is not out to get you. See, that's evidenced by the fact that when he had his chance, he didn't take it. He could have left us in a fallen state, couldn't he, and done nothing. And he still would have been righteous to do it. So why would we think that after we come into a relationship with him, he sits in heaven ready to go, (laughs) when when he had his chance, he didn't do that. Because that's not who he is. It's not who he is. He wants the very best for you. He wants you to experience everything that he created to give you. He wants you to experience the expression of him in your life and through it. He wants you to be there at the moment that somebody's life changes for the Lord. Whether it's salvation, whether he sets them free from something and we, we were actually talking about this earlier in class, we think we've got to give people an answer. Listen, I want you to know this. 95% of the people already know the answer. Have you ever gone and asked somebody for help, but you kind of really knew what the answer was, you just didn't want to do it? Anybody ever do that except me? <laughs> somebody made me feel better. <laughs> they kind of already know. And so sometimes it just means being there to know that they're loved and they have this freedom to be able to do that. And that somebody's going to be there. They're not going to be alone as they go forward. So he's he's actively demonstrating mercy. But he's not just a merciful God. He's a God of grace. See, God is... (laughs) They're, these terms are very different when you get into grace, where mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. It's like if I was going down Heidi Lane at 80 miles an hour, and the police officer pulls me over. Mercy is not giving me a ticket. Grace is giving me a cupcake. Right? You follow me? It's a good illustration of grace and mercy. So mercy, so what does God give us as an expression of his grace? What does he actually give? Because grace is not earned. I didn't earn that cupcake. It's not something we earn. Grace can't be earned by definition. It's receiving what we have not earned. And so, what has God given us? John three sixteen and 17. He gave us His Son, oh, I'm sorry. He gave us His Son and eternal life. Watch this. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, But that the world might be saved through him. He didn't come to judge the world. He actually came to be judged for the world, right? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so we're given eternal life through him. That's a pretty big gift. How do you earn eternal life? That's part of grace. That's what God gives (laughs) us. And even greater than that, he gives us his son. God gave us his son. That alone should blow you away. But does it stop there? John ten ten. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See the life, the eternal life He gives us is not just "I made it, I get to go to heaven when I die." It's an abundant life, and abundance is if you picture a cup not able to contain all the water being poured into it, where it runs out. You ever did that as? A, you ever did that? Have you ever done that as a, a kid or had a kid do? They pour it all the way to where the surface tension of the liquid is like right there, and then it's kind of run down on the table. That's what abundant life is like that God gives us. We can't contain it. We can't contain it. The sad thing is, many of us have believed some of the lies and you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know that our life is abundant in Christ. Is that how you would describe your walk with Christ? Is it abundant? Then if you would not describe it that way, you either believed a lie... There's only two options, right? We either have lies in our life that we believed is true or that we're comfortable... We told ourselves so many times we're comfortable with it. Or we don't know the Lord. Because if we are saved and we're only believing what's true, then we would be experiencing that. The enemy is a master liar and he wants to. If he can't have you, if he can't have you for himself... He's going to steal away your effectiveness. He's going to steal away the joy. And the love that you had for God. You know, isn't it funny when people first get saved? It's like, you're like, whoa, settle down. You know, they're all excited. They're running around and telling everybody about Jesus. They're going to every service. And they're they're seeing all this stuff in scripture. And we're like, oh, you know, that's a little too much. <laughs> Do you realize that that's what we're supposed to all be experiencing every day from the moment of salvation? It's not supposed to go away. Because his mercies are new every morning. And the reason we let it go is we want God to fit into our comfort zone instead of saying, man, I got no zones. Except you, I'm zoned in on you. He gives us a, but that's why Jesus came. He said, "I came that they may have life and have it abundantly." And we're when we get when we wrap up this series, we're going to end up in John fifteen. He's gonna, we're going to talk about how that is actually experienced. The keys to unlocking that. Romans 4 5 says this But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. He gives us righteousness. You don't do it on your own. If you do, that's self-righteousness. The only righteousness he accepts is his. And so that's a gift. That's the grace of God to give us righteousness so that we can therefore stand in his very presence. Because I can't do it on my own. I can only do it based upon him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. He makes us a new creation in Christ. We hear that all the time. I hear people put that all the time. You see, you can buy it on plaques. You can buy it on all these other things at Lifeway. You're a new creation in Christ. Old oh, thing, that's all dead. You know, you need to. Thank you, Jesus. And we go, that's so wonderful. But we never appropriate it. Because we hear the same tastes. The enemy is good at. Push and rewind and for those of you who don't know what a tape is you don't have to go to the museum to see it anymore I remember when I put a tape deck in my car I removed the big 8 track tape deck and put in the little cassette tape deck <laughs> some of you remember how many of you remember when you put an 8 track in your car look at that how many of you remember car radios was just AM FM right how many of you know what a typewriter is just checking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Terry and I were laughing one day because she was at work, and there was th- she was at work, and there was something that came up, and they had to use a typewriter for that, and there was a a, a new hire a young person there asked, "What's a typewriter?" <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't grow up with; it. they just didn't they didn't have that reference, and so we just it's funny what we grow up with, and so we. Uh, He's made us a new creation, folks. How did I get on typewriter? Um, He's made us a new creation in Christ. And so we have to, listen, accept that. Oh, the old stuff. The old stuff that that we listen to about how to get along and how to make it and and how God really is. And if it doesn't line up with the book, it's wrong. Amen? And the hardest thing to let go of is something that we've held on to for such a long time. Even when it's wrong. Even when we know it's not right for us. Even when we know it's not healthy. We keep on holding. And I think part of it is, we don't want to call that part of our life a failure. So we hold it. Because if we admit that we shouldn't have been holding it in the first place, we have to admit that all that time was wasted. And I want to to tell you something. Any time you spend, whether it's 20 years or one day, that causes you to learn something, it's not wasted time. The enemy would like to do that to keep you trapped. That's the pin in the chain. He goes, well, you're going to waste all that time. And he slides this pin down in and tries to anchor you to things you shouldn't be, you're already not anchored to. Because Jesus said, if I've set you free, you're free indeed. And so I'm already free over here. And he goes... Well, Mark, but what about this? This has been there forever. And he slips that thing down in there. And I go, yeah, it has been. And I can't get away. Because I believe the lie. You can't make it without this. You're addicted to it. What's a physical addiction? You know, did you guys know that Christians have physical addictions? too? You know why? This one's really relatively easy. Our body's unredeemed. Physical addictions, cake and things. We'll take an easy one that we won't get too many feathers, roughly. You know, I knew this guy. He was—he was—he uh, could hide behind this thing right here. And he would eat a half of a sheet cake every um, every Sunday night for dinner, the whole thing. If I did that, I could hide a hundred of these behind me. <laughs> but we, and we believe that we love things that are not of God. Yeah, but how can I give that up? I love it. Let me tell you something. That phrase in your mind is not scriptural. You cannot love the things of the world and love God also. It says it. So the fact that the enemy's caused you to believe that is an evidence that he's working. Listen, do you guys realize the enemy wants to destroy you? Do you realize that he wants to keep you from being everything God called you to be? Do you realize that if he can't have you, he's going to try and destroy your testimony or keep you from sharing? He used everything in his power to do that. You are a new creation in Christ. And you know what? Every bit of this, his son, eternal life, abundant life, righteousness, new creation, are all undeserved. That's what grace is about. 2 Peter 1 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. See, He gave us everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything. Well, if God would just do this... You ever said that? If God would just do that, then I would do this. If God would give me this ability, or if God would do this, if He would remove that, then I'd be fine. And why am I still weak in this area? Why do I still have these problems? Why do I still struggle with this sin? Why, 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 why? Sounds like a baby crying, right? Why, 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 why? Instead of just embracing Him. And saying, look, I am what you made me to be. I am who I am. I am what your Word says I am. I accept that, whatever that is, in the fullness of that, and I will march based upon that because you are God, you are on the throne, I am not, and I am delighted to be in a relationship with you. That's the way it should be. Listen, God is not holding out on you. You ever feel like God's holding out on you? Well, how come you use Billy Graham like that? How come you use so and so? I you know, if I could if I could sing like Stephen, then God could really use me. Or if I could preach like Adrian Rogers. Only, does anybody know Adrian Rogers? Oh wow, one. If I could preach like Charles Spurgeon. The same one. Oh two. His daughter in law. You know who Dwight Moody is? Anybody? Do you know Dwight Moody used to throw up before he preached? He would lay out in the back behind the church and vomit before he preached because he was so nervous. It's a true story. There's a couple other true stories about him that the be mind-blowing. But listen, he gave us everything undeserved. God is not holding out on to us. We need to start tapping into all that God gave us by his grace. Discover the blessings that have come into your life through, and we think blessings are good things. How many of you have ever gotten a splinter, a big, bad splinter? (laughs) Yeah? When you pulled it out, how many of you, put your hands up. I want you to leave your hands up. If you pulled it out, when you pulled it out, it hurt. (coughs) Was that a blessing that it came out, though? So there's something that hurt that was a blessing. There you go. Blessings aren't always a check in the mail or a promotion. Sometimes blessings hurt. But they're good for us in the end. I used to call those spiritual owies when God comes in and he points something out. But because God points it out even though it hurts it doesn't hurt like it should. Because God just knows how to do that. You know what I'm talking about? Where God says, "Mark, this is not really what I have for you. You're letting this in, and you're missing out on this." And you go, and then you have this—this—it's like this breath of regret for just a second, but then the Spirit of God overcomes that. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And that's how we should walk with Him. And so, if we're really going to know God. There's a few things we must, we must do. We must make sure that the picture you have of God is accurate to Scripture. See, folks, we have these pictures of God, and we went through that last week, that do not jive scripturally. They ain't in there. But because of our experiences or bad things that have happened, we assign that to God. Or the world has told us that, so we, we kind of suck it in like it's true. Do you ever think of God as joyful and excited about you? It's hard for some of you, isn't it? To to take that and go, yeah, God would be about me. You know, there's one that actually says that he twirls over us. I'm not going to do that. I'll leave that to God. He twirls over you. He's not too early, but he... He twirls over you. He's twirly, And so, we ought to change how we think. If we're going to really know God, we cannot let the enemy put condemnation on us for what God has already forgiven. Man, oh man. If you only know what I did 20 years ago, if you only know what I did 10 minutes ago, if you only know what I said. You ever said something you wouldn't say in here? You ever said it in the car on the way to church? How could God? You know that voice that comes in and says... What a terrible person you're. How could you do that and still claim to be a Christian? That ain't the voice of God. And I'm gonna tell you something, it ain't your voice either, but it sounds like it. Romans eight one tells us that you don't have that one. That there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who isn't that great? So we can go ahead and fill that in for him. Let's go ahead and condemn ourselves. Oh, I'm terrible. I'm such a like, bad you know and, and there's a, there was a movement. It was. It was. <laughs> they would call it piety, <clears throat> and it was basically. Well, I'm so bad, and I'm so terrible, and I'm so this, and I'm so that. That we just because, and that makes us humble to admit that. No, it doesn't. It makes you deluded. The Bible says that once you come into a relationship with Christ, you're a saint. You're godly in Christ Jesus. You're a joint heir with Christ. All your sins are forgiven from birth to death. You have brand new life and it's an abundant life in him. We're separated from the old man. And we're given a brand new spirit. Well, why does it tell me to put it to death? Because there are residual effects upon our mind that has to be renewed based on Romans 12 so that we can walk with God. Listen, humility is not saying how bad you are. Humility is submitting ourselves to what God has said. That's what humility is. And so don't let the enemy put condemnations, condemnation on you. Many Christians live their life under that cloud. And you know what? Some of them apply those same emotions to God. Because they figure that if they feel that way about themselves, then He must feel that way about them too. Let me tell you something. You ever had, have you ever said to yourself, or had anybody say this, well, God can forgive, but I can't. I, can, I can't forgive myself. You ever had a friend say that to you? Let me, I'm going I'm to be a little forward here, okay? How dare you have a higher level of forgiveness than God has? What an arrogant position that is. If God can forgive it, we can easily forgive it. We do not have a higher grade of forgiveness than God does. So be careful assigning your emotions to God. It's time to let that go and believe God in His Word. Three... Realize that your salvation is much more than forgiveness in heaven. See, God invests in you. But you know, we see that picture in the Bible about the ten, the five, and the one talent. How many of you aspire to be the one talent? Anybody? Nobody. How many of you want to be the five? How many of us want to be the ten talents? The guy with 10 went out and got 10 more. We all want to be used. But to be used, we've got to be available. We've got to be willing. We have to say yes and we have to show up. And so we have to embrace the investment that God has placed in us. Well, I know I'm kind of good at, uh, here's one. Well, he's so good at evangelism or he's so good at, at teaching. He's a, I'm just good at math love math, but how could... Listen, there's a county that goes with church work. There's people out there struggling today with budgets and things that are really struggling. That if somebody that understood that could help them. We've actually been... It was, it's so funny, here we are. We were just talking about offering the Dave Ramsey course. I'm going to tell you, the Dave Ramsey course changed my life completely. Terry and I, and... I, This is just a little snippet. Terry and I, in about three or four months, paid off seven bills just by selling all the stuff we were storing. Mm -hmm. There's other people in here with a Dave Ramsey testimony. Mm -hmm. You go, well, how could God use me? Would it be a blessing to you if you were completely free of debt and somebody could show you how to do that? Wouldn't that be a blessing? What if your house was paid off What could you do for God with the money that he gives you? Some of you were thinking beach house in Maui. If God, listen, if God leads you to buy a beach house in Maui, then by all means do it and call me and I'll go keep it for you. (laughs) It's terrible. So listen. Interact with him and be transparent with God. God may be totally different than you think. How many of you have seen a different picture of God today than you've had in your mind of who he is? Anybody? Mm-hmm. Me too, as I walk through this. It's amazing how scripture shows us that. You know, I got interested in this question. And just bear with me, because there's stuff going on today that we wouldn't agree with, that was going on in the past. Um, how many of you are familiar with the show Family Feud? Have mm-hmm. you seen that? Remember Richard Dawson? Mm-hmm. They talked about all the people he had kissed, all the women he had kissed in his whole life. And, and now we look at that as, as kind of surly and kind of mm-hmm. out of step. Mm-hmm. Does anybody here know why he did that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I found an interview, I, found, I looked for it, and I found this interview of him. See, we've already cast him in that role, right? We've cast him in that view. Like, that was inappropriate. But you got to understand the time. He was being interviewed by this, by this uh, person. And he talks about that. And he said, they asked him where it came from. And he said, when I was a boy growing up, my grandma, when I would get nervous or afraid or scared or struggling with something, she would give me a kiss. And it was to give me confidence and I felt better when she did it. Well, he was on a show one day. And this contestant whispered in his ear that she was petrified. So he leaned over and gave her a kiss. And she answered the question and actually won the money. And so he did that as a gift trying to help people. But it's being re-portrayed today as something that was out of line. And I think we have to do some of the same things with God. We have this image of him, and the enemy would like to re portray that as something different than what it really is. And because we're comfortable, we're all comfortable saying that's not appropriate today. We start applying those things to God, and we don't walk in the truth of who he is. I thought it was enlightening to listen to him share that. You have to go find it. It's actually a YouTube video of interviews with Richard Dawson. Where, where he talks about that. Listen, we, we have to know who God truly is to understand what he does. We have to know who he is to understand what he does. Otherwise, we're going to have a misconception of who God is. And so prejudging him by your own set of rules does not provide accuracy just because it makes sense to you. Well, this makes sense to me, so that must be true. Just because it makes sense to you don't mean it's true. There's a way that seems right to a man but the end is destruction. That's not truth, ladies and gentlemen. We are commanded to worship him in spirit and in truth. And if we don't embrace what's true because his word says it, then what are we doing? I want you to have the opportunity to see the power of God unleashed in your heart, in your life, and in the people's lives around you because they know you. And the only way to do that is for you to really understand who God is and who you are. And if we're afraid of Him, if we think He's out there out to get us, Listen, God doesn't have a stick for you anymore. He applied it to Christ. He took the stick. It's been applied already. It's out of His hand. His arms are open with love, pouring mercy and grace. And He's twirling over you. And He's shouting because of you. We shout because of each other sometimes. Hey, you forgot your cell phone. No, not like that. We ought to shout over each other. I ought to shout because I know every one of you. What a joy it is to have a relationship with somebody. That's a gift when people give that. I treasure that. We should treasure it with him. Unless everybody did bow their head and close their eyes.